There's so much we can learn about ourselves when we think about trees. Did you know that in Psalm 1, God says you shall be like a tree? When we follow Jesus, it begins when we are like a tiny seed or a sapling, firmly planted and too weak to stand on its own. As we grow up in the truth, we send our roots down. They keep us fed and strong. But beware, becoming what God created us to be isn't always easy. There are bad forces that work against us, and it takes faith and discipline to get through them. But once you mature and discover your gifts, you grow fruit. Delicious fruit that you can share with everyone around you. And there's nothing more beautiful than watching how your life, which started out as a little seed, can multiply into the lives of others. This could be you, a majestic tree, going deep, growing wide, living tall, and bearing lots and lots of fruit. Right. Well, we're looking forward to April 9th with great anticipation. If you don't know, every year we get hundreds of people that come on our campus and experience the tangible love of Jesus. And that is all and only possible because of you. It is awe-inspiring to watch our people from across our church body live out their ministry gifts as we connect with people to our Savior who died on the cross and who rose from the dead to give us new life. And so uh, we just want to say thank you for serving. Thank you for ministering to our community. And not just don't just sign up for the event, but sign up to uh, help us so that we can make final preparations for that day. Well, now, if you're just joining us, we are in week nine of our series, Cultivating the Christian Life, and we've moved from the growing phase of our workbook to the maturing phase. And this phase is where we see the tree really begin to rise up and become tall in the maturing phase. Now, the maturing phase begins with rule number eight. So we're on, again, on week nine, counting the introduction, week nine, rule number eight. And this rule is discover your spiritual gift and you will find purpose. And since we're talking about serving at the Easter party today, this message offers us some perfect timing. Our memory verse for today is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, maybe a familiar one for many of us. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's a really important verse. Why don't we say it together? Ready on the count of three? One, two, three. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Do you believe that God created you with purpose, his masterpiece? Do you believe that he has good works for you to do? You know, recently I heard somebody make this profound statement. He said, uh, the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you discover why. The day you were born and the day you discover why. Now, the problem is many people are walking through life and they don't know their purpose. Now, let me offer an illustration to see how this is playing out in our, our current culture. How many in the audience today like Chipotle? Okay, some Chipotle fans out there. Uh, we always find our way back to food, don't we? Now, I first discovered Chipotle when I lived in Denver, Colorado for graduate school. Uh, that was where the first Chipotle started, and it's delicious, right? Steak burritos with black beans, veggies, pico, and hot sauce topped off with guacamole. That's just where it's at. Now, if you're health conscious, you can make that a burrito bowl and take off the carbs. It's still a winner. 
Now, Chipotle is awesome, and it's, it often hits the spot for me. However, something disturbing happened a few months ago when a hungry Pastor Bob rolled up to one of the local Chipotles at 7 p.m. on a Friday night. A Friday night, mind you. I rolled up to this Chipotle, and the store manager came out and told me they were closed. And I looked at him, and then I looked around, and I said, what do you mean? It's Friday. It's 7 p.m. Who closes during the dinner rush on a Friday night? I'm hungry. And the manager just looked at me and shook his head and said, we don't have enough people to work, so we have to close. Now, have you had that experience? (laughs) I know you have, because it's not just Chipotle. Somebody else told me one of the local Starbucks informed them that Starbucks is closing at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. Starbucks. Why? There's a worker shortage and they can't stay open. We have a worker shortage in our country, but the number of hungry and thirsty people in this world has not decreased. Now, unfortunately, what happens in the culture often mirrors what's happening in the church. The church is full of thirsty people, thirsty for meaning and purpose, and the church can offer the gospel, but we don't have enough people that want to work. Why is that? Well, I wonder if it's because too many Christians either have not discovered their spiritual gift or they are not moved to share their spiritual gift. But here's the reality. The discovery of your gift and the use of your gift are directly tied to your purpose in the body of Christ. So let me come back to that restaurant illustration for just a second. Um, I have family members who who work in restaurants. I've worked in restaurants in the past, and so I know how it goes. Um, Everybody in a restaurant has a job to do. Sometimes they have multiple jobs to do. And the host or the hostess comes out. They greet you. They seat you. The cook makes your food. And then the waiter or waitress comes out with their wonderful, uh, you know, their, their tray, and they're ready to serve you. And if any one of those roles are gone, you have an unpleasant experience. Now, the person you interact with the most is the waiter. He or she is the one who serves you. And the first thing that the waiter brings to your table when you sit down is what? They come down, they put their tray down. What's the first thing they bring you? Water, right? They bring you water. The first item they bring is water because they assume that people coming to the restaurant are what? They are thirsty. And so they introduce themselves. They come up to you. They start pouring water in your glass. And they say, how can I serve you tonight? Right, Because they know that unless your thirst is satisfied, really nothing else matters when you're coming to the restaurant. Friends, the world is full of thirsty people. And if a restaurant closes, people are going to go find water somewhere else. But it's only in the church that people can find living water that will satisfy their soul. And if the church closed today... The world would still be full of thirsty people, thirsty for meaning and purpose and salvation. But the question is, when thirsty people come to our door, will there be enough people who are ready to work? If not, people are going to find water somewhere else. Now, do we want people finding water out there or in here? And in order to offer people the living water of the gospel, we need people to serve. We need people to use their gifts We need people to minister, to know their purpose in the body of Christ, which again brings us to spiritual gifts. Discovering our spiritual gift is about finding our purpose, our place, and our contribution to the body of Christ here on earth. 
My friend Tim Lucas puts it this way. He says, when people come to church, they're looking for two things. They're looking for a friend and a job. In other words, people want community and they want to know how they can contribute. And knowing how we're gifted, how God has wired us and empowered us, that brings fulfillment. Now, there's several passages in the Bible that speak to spiritual gifts. Um, but what I want to do today is focus in on 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 31 as our anchor text today. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth to correct their misunderstanding and misuse of the gifts. And so to accomplish this, Paul takes us on a journey and teaches us about spiritual gifts in three movements. Three movements I'm just going to simply call this, the quest, the power, and the arrangement. The quest, the power, and the arrangement. Now before we dive in, let's pray and appropriately ask the Holy Spirit to help us today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace, for your love. Lord, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who... Um, regenerates us, who indwells us, who empowers us to live out our calling, to follow after you, to build your kingdom, to share the gospel, Lord. And so I pray for my friends here today that you, Holy Spirit, would come and would move on their hearts, move on my heart today, Lord, that we would be moved to serve and build your kingdom for your glory. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so first, the quest. Everyone in life is on a quest. We want to know our purpose in life. Now, before Paul outlines the nuts and bolts of the spiritual gifts, he lays a foundation for the discussion. Look at what he writes in 1 Corinthians 12.1. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be, what? To be uninformed. Okay, so right away, based on his wording, you can see that there's, there's some confusion in the church about the gifts. Some might even say there was misinformation being spread about the role and the purpose of gifts in the church. And Paul wants believers right here to have a proper understanding. So let's ask the question, what is a spiritual gift? Well, page 118 of your workbook offers this really helpful definition. A spiritual gift is a supernatural ability given by the Holy Spirit to believers that empower them to serve the body of Christ with effectiveness. Okay, I could offer other definitions, but this one is really clear and it's helpful. What do we learn about the gifts right from this definition? Number one, they're supernatural. Okay, they're not the same as your natural abilities, although there could be some overlap there. Secondly, they are given by whom? By the Holy Spirit. They're not something you earn. They're not something that we can work really harder and get. He gives them to us. And finally, the most important, and most importantly, the purpose of the gifts is to serve the body of Christ. They're not something we selfishly wield. They're gifts, the gifts are for others. And so we'll see how those elements play out in the rest of this passage. Now, you may ask, if that's the definition of spiritual gifts outlined by Paul, what was this misinformation that he was talking about? Well, 1 Corinthians 12, 2 offers a clue. He says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Now notice here, Paul appears to the for their former manner of life as pagans, or people that didn't follow after God. In other words, it seems that their cultural identity was interfering with their new identity in Christ. Now 1 Corinthians 12 is really famously known to be the passage where Paul deals with the supernatural gifts of the Spirit, because the Corinthians were really, really gifted. 
Uh, but they were also tempted by a religious experience that scholars refer to as ecstasy. <laughs> Not the drug, just the experience, right? Ecstasy. Now, what does that mean? It refers to a wide range of spiritual experiences in which a person has a sense of being possessed by a powerful spiritual force or being. And while that can certainly be a part of the Christian life, some Corinthian believers were using it as a way of elevating their spiritual status and leveraging their power within the church. And that is what Paul says is wrong. In fact, pagan religions in Corinth had similar religious experiences that they marketed to the masses. And so Paul's warning here is almost akin to a Christian getting into something like the tenets of Scientology, where you, you pay money and you work your way up the ladder. If that's a pagan religion, and they're, and they're weaving it into Christianity. Now, Paul also uses a really interesting turn of phrase. He talks about muted idols. And that's probably a warning against pursuing the false gods of their culture. Gods that promise to bring meaning and purpose into their lives, an experience of the transcendent, only to leave the believers wanting. And so what Paul is saying here, essentially, is that these idols, they can't speak to your heart. They can't give you the purpose and meaning that you want and you long for. This verse right here speaks to the quest we're all on in our lives to discover meaning and purpose, why we're here. Now, when people walk into a restaurant, like we said, the first thing they want is water. They want their cup to be filled up, right? They want to come in because they are thirsty. And if the restaurant isn't open, like we said before, they're going to go somewhere else. And friends, too often we drink water from the wrong fountain. I heard a preacher make this observation recently. He said, he said this, he said, the more God is removed from the public square, the more you're going to find in movies and TV shows and politicians trying to offer transcendent meaning in their messages. Just look at the, the scope of what's out there today. Why? Because in our hearts, we're all on a quest. But Paul says there's only one way to find true meaning. Look at verse 3. He says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul's point here is to say that if you want to experience the gifts of the Spirit, Jesus must be Lord of your life. If you want to find true meaning and purpose on this quest, you must choose repentance. You have to repent of your sins because the path to discovery must follow the gospel story. It is only when your heart is awakened, when the Holy Spirit washes you clean and regenerates your soul that you can find true meaning and purpose. And if you want to know your true meaning and purpose, you got to do two things. Number one, you have to know God through his son, Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins, fall on your knees, and call him Lord. And then second, you make God known. And that's what using the gifts of the Spirit is all about. And that's Paul's point in these first three verses here. The Corinthian church was spiritually gifted. But the reason Paul begins with this point is because character must precede gifting. Character must precede gifting. How many of you have ever encountered a really gifted leader, extremely gifted, but the, their personal character was underwhelming? Right? 
There's many gifted leaders out there who don't have the character to back it up. In fact, Romans chapter 12 is another place where Paul outlines spiritual gifts, and he begins much the same way. Romans 12, 1 and 2, very famously says what? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Have your minds transformed. And then in verse 3, he says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with what? With sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now that phrase, sober judgment, is all about not thinking too highly of ourselves. We've all received grace that we didn't deserve, So climb a few rungs down on the ladder. Let's first recognize that the fruit of the Spirit is more important and must necessarily precede the gifts of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul says, I take someone with those traits over the most gifted person in the world. Character must Proceed gifting. And then immediately after he says this, he launches into an outline and a discussion on the gifts of the Spirit and their purpose in the community. So friends, we're all on a quest to find our meaning and our purpose. So let's not pursue the muted idols of the world, false gods that cannot speak to our hearts with any power. Instead, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus, the one who gives meaning and purpose. And when we do that, And only when we do that will we experience movement to the power. The power. Now, it was Uncle Ben who famously said to Peter Parker before he became Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. And this is why character must precede gifting. We need to have the ability to use humility We need to have the humility to use our gift well and for the glory of God. Your gift is not about you. But the power of the Holy Spirit is something we should desire in our lives. There's a quote that's attributed to A.W. Tozier, although it's nowhere in his writings, and it, it goes like this. He said this, If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on, and no one would know the difference. But if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. Now think about that for a second. Francis Chan famously wrote a book about the Holy Spirit entitled The Forgotten God. Does the Holy Spirit influence your life? Are you seeking his power in your life. This is intrinsically connected to the gifts of the Spirit because spiritual gifts are evidence of God's power in your life. Now, don't miss that. Remember our definition earlier? Spiritual gifts are what? They're supernatural abilities given to us by the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but if I was given a supernatural ability, I would want to use it. Right? If you don't, it's kind of like somebody gave you the ability to fly and all you want to do is walk. Use your gift. And when you do, it points people not to your power, but to the power of the giver. Now, you may ask, how do I know if I have a spiritual gift? What types of spiritual gifts are there? Well, first, if you're a Christian, you have at least one spiritual gift. 
Paul goes on to say that later in the, in the Corinthian passage. It's possible you have more than one gift, but everybody has at least one gift. And that's why Paul starts with salvation in 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Because when Jesus saves you, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside you and empowers you. Look at what he writes in verses 4 to 6. He says, now there's a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God, who empowers them all in everyone. Now, if you look at verse 6, it specifically says God empowers, and the Greek word for both activities and empowerment is the word energomata. Right? It's where we get our English word energy from. And there's been a lot of discussion in the news recently about energy independence, But this verse is about God showing us we need to be energy dependent on him. And when we use the gift he's given to us, it points people right back to the energy source. When we use our gift, it brings God glory. Now, I want you to look back at verse 4. What does it say? It says there's a variety of gifts. In other words, secondly, spiritual gifts are not monolithic. Spiritual gifts are not monolithic. And it's important, that's an important point to make. We should never be comparing our gifts with somebody else's. We should never be sitting back and saying, oh my goodness, I'm looking to my left and my right, and I'm saying, man, I really wish I had Larry's gift. Oh, I really wish I had Kathy's gift. Oh, I really wish I had Bob's uh, gift. No, there's different gifts in the body. They're not monolithic for a reason. We need all of the gifts. Think about it this way. The church is like the Avengers, Okay. Last week I talked about Lord of the Rings. I got to bring Marvel in this week. We are superheroes who all have special abilities like the Avengers. But imagine if Iron Man started saying, well, I really wish I had the Hulk's strength. Okay? Or imagine if Captain America started saying, I wish I could fly like I, my Captain Marvel. They wouldn't accomplish their mission because they were, they were so distracted by jealousy. Every single person on the superhero team has a role. Only Ant-Man and the Wasp can get into small places because they can shrink. Captain America has a leadership gift. Iron Man was super smart. They all had a role on the team. And that was the problem in the Corinthian church. They were all jealous of each other's gifts. And it distracted them from serving God and making the church all it could be. Spiritual gifts are not monolithic. But again, you might ask, well, what type of gifts are there? How many gifts are there? Well, there's five key passages in the New Testament uh, that speak to spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 to 11. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Romans 12, 6 to 8. Ephesians 4, 11. And 1 Peter 4, 11. That's where the spiritual gifts are listed. And you can find these gifts outlined on page 119 of your workbook. And if you look at those lists and you study the passages, most commentators agree on at least two points. Number one, there's at least 21 gifts. At least. Now, some gifts are mentioned in multiple places. Some gifts are associated with offices in the church, like a pastor elder. Although somebody can have a pastoral gift, even if you don't have the title of pastor. There's at least 21. And we say that because the lists are likely not exhaustive. Could there have been other gifts? Well, sure. They're just not recorded. The point is, Paul is saying here, there is a variety of gifts. And no one person has all of the gifts. We need everyone to build up the body of Christ and make us strong. 
Now, in terms of categorizing the gifts, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 is really helpful here. The Apostle Peter writes this. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So again, note what he says here. He says, everyone has a gift. They're meant to serve others. Why are they given? They're given to give God glory. And Peter makes two categorical distinctions here that are helpful. I will just call them the difference between word and deed. So word gifts are associated with speaking, like prophecy or proclamation, teaching, exhortation, etc. And deed gifts are associated with serving, like mercy and helping and administration, etc., etc. Now, let's be clear. One gift is not better than the other. Both of these gifts, both of these categories of gifts are needed. Now, there's one more category that people often debate, and that is the supernatural gifts or the sign gifts. And these gifts often include prophecy, depending on how you define it, tongues, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, healing, miracles, you know, gifts like that. Now, there's different perspectives on the availability and use of these gifts in the modern church. And I would just simply say this is an open-handed issue that should not divide the church. But I don't have time to go into all the details about the debate. Uh, pastor Dave and I did a podcast a little while ago explaining this. And so if you, if you get our pastor's video this week, we'll make sure we put a link into that podcast. And you can listen to that and study that for further, um, further study. There's also an explanation of the positions on page 121 of your workbook. So you can take a look at that and see where, where different people fall on this spectrum. But one point I think we can all agree about is that Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, what he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, he says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I heard somebody say that the gifts are given to release the love of Jesus to other people. And that's what it looks like to manifest the gift of the Spirit, manifest the Spirit for the common good. And the word manifest means to make the Spirit's power obvious through the use of the gifts. And ultimately, this is done for the common good, which is why I circled that there for you. Or put another way, spiritual gifts are given to edify others. Common good refers to the welfare of people. And in Corinthian secular life, this was done through charitable gifts and deeds. The Greek word Paul uses here carries the same meaning. But in secular Corinthian culture, the elites would parade around using their gifts and abilities, believing it gave them some status and significance. And this is what Paul was warning the Corinthians against. Now, in today's church, how do we manifest the spirit for the common good? Or I would say it this way. I would say it this way. We use our specific gifts to release the power of God into the lives of others. We use our specific gifts to release the power of God into the lives of others. Well, what does that look like? Let me apply it to just a couple gifts. Let's start with a mercy gift. Let's say you have the gift of mercy. And some people at NBC have an incredible gift of mercy. This gives you the supernatural ability to be empathetic with others in a way that they feel heard and cared for. So when you're sitting with somebody over coffee, you're hearing their story, you're releasing the power of God into their lives. When you weep with them during tragedy and heartache, you are releasing the power of God into their lives. 
Let's say you have the gift of giving. And some of us at NBC have the gift of generosity, right? And, and, and you, this really, in some cases, doesn't have anything to do with how much money you make. When you bless somebody with a financial gift, or you serve them, and you help them get through a difficult time, or you empower them to accomplish what God is calling them to do in their lives, you are releasing the power of God. Leadership. Some of us at NBC have the, have the gift of leadership and vision, and helping somebody see God's vision for their lives and leading them where God is calling them to go, you are releasing the power of God into their lives for his glory. Administration. Some of us at NBC are incredibly organized. Oh my goodness, when you go and you help other people discover the glory of organization, you are releasing the power of God into their lives. Friends, we all have a gift. Use it. Use it to the glory of God for the edification of others in the body. Why do we do this? We do this because spiritual gifts are offered by grace. We do it because of grace. We did not deserve salvation, but God saved us. We did not deserve our gifts, but God gives them to us by grace. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 11. He says, all those who are empowered by one and the same spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. In other words, the Holy Spirit gives gifts and it has nothing to do what we have done to, we have not done anything to earn them. The Holy Spirit gives gifts at his discretion. Now, what does that all mean? Well, as Paul goes on to say in verses 12 to 31, the purpose of the gifts is to promote unity within the church. We are one body. We all need each other and we need to serve each other. And as we do that, we come closer together. I love what the image that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. He says this, all, all of us were made to drink of one spirit. The same Holy Spirit gives all the gifts. And the word drink is meant to emphasize the unity we all have in Christ. We are all drinking from the same fountain. The Spirit empowers us all. George Renner, who's actually one of our world partners, wrote a wonderful commentary on 1 Corinthians, and he makes this observation about verse 13. He says, Paul uses the metaphor of drinking the Spirit because over and over in the Scriptures, the powerful presence of the Spirit of God is described as coming like water or a stream or a river. The Spirit comes like rushing water over the church and satisfies their thirst. Or I like to think about it this way. People in the church are thirsty too. So imagine if there's one cup and we all have the same pitcher. The Holy Spirit is pouring his same spirit into each and every one of us. We are all drinking from the same fountain. What if every one of us every single day sought the power of the Holy Spirit? Our cup would fill up. Because we're drinking from the same life-giving fountain. We're tasting the grace of God together. And when we do that, what changes in the church? The church becomes more powerful. Because we're tapped into and constantly pointing people back to that energy source. Friends, we're all on a quest to find the energy source. And only he can give us meaning and purpose. Only we find him. We experience, when we find him, we experience his power. But there's one final movement that brings all the pieces together, and that is the arrangement. 
the arrangement. Now, for the rest of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul famously outlines the metaphor of the body to show how the spiritual gifts work in the church to bring about unity. So let me just read 1 Corinthians 12, 14 to 17, and I want you to ask, how does this apply to me? So listen, Paul says this, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not, excuse me, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Now, what did you hear in those verses? I heard this. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. We need each other. We are family, members, many members, one body. We are unique yet unified. I also heard that the body does not work without all of its parts. Now, if there's one thing I've learned over the last year talking with doctors about our son, it's that everything in the body is interconnected. Everything is interconnected. The eye can't just go and do its own thing. If the heart decides to quit, the whole body is affected. If my whole body became an ear, I would miss out on all the wonderful smells in the kitchen when we cook dinner. And so likewise it is in the church. If we only have gifted prophets and preachers, and we don't have people with the gift of mercy, people will not feel cared for. If we only have people with leadership and vision who want to spend money to advance the kingdom, but we don't have people who are organized with the gift of administration to run the organization, we're in trouble. Right? If we don't have people with the gift of service, the church won't run. The point is we need everyone. God has given Millington Baptist Church at this time a gift matrix based on the people who are here. And we have so many gifted people, friends. And if we're going to grow as a church spiritually, we need everyone using their gifts to the glory of God. We need to serve one another in humility for the glory of God. God has given us everything we need to grow. And Paul's teaching reaches a climax in verse 18. He says this, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So friends, it's not a mistake. It's not a mistake that you are here. God has arranged it that way. He has given each of us a gift to help build up the body and glorify Christ. He has given you your gift and he has called you here for a purpose. He wants to use each one of us drinking from the same spirit so that the spirit would overflow through the gifts into the lives of others for the glory of Christ. That's what happens when you use your gifts. As we become mature and our cups overflow by using our gifts that God has given to us, Paul says that God gave us these gifts for, uh, for what? He says he gave us the gifts to equip us for the work of ministry, for building up one another in the body of Christ until we have attained the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Is your cup overflowing with the Spirit? Are you using your gifts? Now, before we leave today, let me, let me just give you some practical points to think about this week. 
Um, if you're somebody here today and you, you, have, you don't know and you're listening to this and you don't know what your spiritual gift is, this week begin discerning your gift. There's plenty of spiritual gift inventories and assessments you can take. If you look at page, uh, on your workbook on page 123 to 127, um, there is a spiritual gifts assessment to get you started. And if you want to go deeper on page 129 in the recommended resources, there is an online assessment tool you can use. Now, once you take that assessment, share it with somebody, preferably an older Christian who knows you and who can affirm those gifts that God has given to you. Second, once you discern your gift, share your gift. Share your gift. Everyone has a gift, so share it. Paul told us that the gifts are given for the service of and edification of others, so we can't hold back. There may be somebody in the congregation right now, maybe even sitting right next to you, that could benefit from your gift. Use your gift to release the power of God into the lives of others. Now, one of the ways you can do this is by praying about where your gift might line up with serving opportunities here at MBC. In fact, to aid in the process, we, we have created a brand new serving page on our website. You can see the, the graphic right here. If you scan that QR code, whether you're here in person or you're at home, if you scan that, it's going to take you to the web page where you can see there's a variety of ways that you can be involved in the life of our local body here. And I got to tell you, if you want to be connected, serving is a fabulous way to achieve that goal. So scan that QR code now, and when you share your gift, there's always going to be an impact. Now, personally, I've been impacted by many people over the years who have decided to use their gift in my life. But I'll never forget my youth pastor, Alan, and the impact he had on my life and my walk with the Lord. He used his gift of pastoring and teaching to take me deeper in my faith and put me on the road to ministry. As some of you may remember, he actually spoke here a few years ago at my ordination service. And to Alan, I say, thank you for using your gift. I've watched people here at NBC sacrifice to use their gifts in order to build up the body. Over the years, we've had many wonderful youth leaders who have invested in our teenagers, leaders who use their gifts to point the next generation to Jesus. In fact, last week, our teens went on their winter retreat, and Johnny told me that there was a number of leaders who sacrificed a day of work, gave some vacation time to go on a youth retreat because they wanted to invest in the lives of teenagers. Thank you for serving and using your gifts. No doubt people have been impacted by the ministry here at NBC. Did you know that those who choose to go through our Stephen ministry training process give 50 hours of training and commit to two years of service? They use their gifts of mercy to meet with those who are hurting. In fact, here's what one Stephen ministry care receiver said about the ministry impact. They said, during the past year, my prayer partner in the Stephen ministry has been an, a sympathetic year, an emotional support, and a biblical inspiration while I navigate life during a difficult transition. Sometimes, as an adult professional, we are limited in our immediate resources to have an impartial, confidential, and Christian fellowship. We all need someone with whom we can share our trials and tribulations. So after hearing of other successes that that the ministry was able, to, uh, was able to bring the church members, I decided to reach out, and I'm glad I did. During the past year, the Stephen Ministry program, through weekly meetings with my prayer partner, has brought me a renewed sense of peace and joy, as well as a new Christian friendship on which I can build my strength, I can build strength in my faith. Now, 
this is not exhaustive. And I could go on and on about all the different ministries and where people serve. The point is, share your gift. You never know who you will impact. And then finally, I would say a third element is to live prophetically. Because friends, our, our world is so incredibly disunified right now that the church has an opportunity to show the secular world what unity and diversity looks like, truly. And that's what Paul is doing in the second half of 1 Corinthians 12. We use our gifts to speak to a world that is desperately on a quest for meaning and purpose. And you can show them where and in whom we can find that meaning and that purpose. Use your gifts to model it. Right before he outlines spiritual gifts in his letter, the apostle Peter writes these words. And I think they show us how to live prophetically in our times. He says this, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a what? A gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Friends, many days it may seem like the end of the world is coming. And the question is, how do we live in this moment? What does Peter say? He says, be disciplined in prayer. Show deep love. Invite people into your home. Friends, it's not the time to stop working and close the doors of the church. It's time to fling the doors of the church wide open and say, come here, all you who are thirsty. Let the waters of the gospel flow into your heart. Experience the power of the Spirit. Have transformed lives. And how do we do that? We do that by using our gifts. We offer people living water from an overflowing cup. And when we do that, we can help people find the answer to their quest. We can connect them to the power of the one they seek. And when they have that power, we can trust that God will arrange them where they need to be in the body of Christ. And so as the worship team comes today, let me just close with one word. Imagine. Imagine what it would look like if the church tapped into the power of the Holy Spirit so deeply that we were using our gifts to their maximal potential. Imagine how God could use you to live prophetically before a watching world. And point people to the true energy source in Jesus. Imagine. Author James Dunn gives a picture of what this looks like in the early days of the church. He simply says this. The shared experience of the Spirit was fundamental to the unity of the early church communities. The many members who make up one body. Believers through whom the Spirit of grace may manifest himself in diverse ways at any time. No member lacks the manifestation of grace. And every manifestation of grace is indispensable for the Spirit's gifts are the living movements of Christ's body. Church, let's be the movement that God calls us to be, to offer living water to thirsty hearts. Amen? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gifts of grace that you give to us, Lord. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would 
come and empower us this week to use our gifts? Would you give us sensitivity to those who need to be encouraged, to those who need to be built up? But most of all this week, Lord, may you just, may, may, Lord, may, may we be willing, willing people who are willing to go out, give our lives for the cause of building your kingdom and for the sake of the gospel. May we do that, Lord, to your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.